Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. Today we are completing our study on Fight Club. The goal of this series was to help men discover their masculine hearts, and uh, we're just going to be wrapping that whole series up today. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, and we can't do the podcast without our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, greeting, my friends. It's been a real honor. It really has. Uh, to be able to speak into the hearts of men, inspire them to discover their true masculine heart. I know a lot of women who uh, have expressed appreciation because it's like it really helps me understand the men in my life and the boys that I'm raising. Mm. And I think one of the things that uh, I have to say is I'm I'm not only uh, f- sense that it's critically important to do this, but I'm honored that God has allowed me to do it. And one of the things I, I've always said for over 20 years in uh, preaching is that in order for a boy to become a man, he has to fight a battle. Right. He has to fight a battle. He can't avoid the battle. And I think the reason why is because whenever you fight in a battle, there's a sacrifice. Mm. And, and so sometimes boys don't want to make the sacrifice. You know what I'm saying? They yeah. want the bubble gum without having to mow the lawn to get it. Right. You know, it starts very young. They want the cookie, so they snitch the cookie without doing their chores, or they snitch the bubble gum, they snitch stuff when they're young, and that starts a pattern throughout their life is that they want to avoid sacrifice. Mm. But what happens is when a boy avoids sacrifice, he cheats himself. That's what he's doing. He's cheating his masculine heart because the reason why you're a male, why you have testosterone coursing through your veins and God designed it that way is to prepare you to fight a battle. Right. And so you must test yourself, you see, in that battle. You must challenge your limits. You must stretch your faith. Because every man has a battle to fight. And for those who have been awakened from spiritual death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you then learn you are divinely powerful to win this battle. You've been, you're not only enlisted in it, but you've been empowered and given weapons of warfare that are super effective in this battle. So you have to fight it. Mm. Well, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, Paul tells us to f- our fight is a spiritual battle, yeah, right? spiritual in nature. Um, and simply meaning that this battle takes place in the soul of every man and every woman. Mm-hmm. And even though this battle is spiritual, it's, it's, it's place within your soul. It has a material world impact. It's not, yeah. even though it is raging in your soul, yes. it is affecting you physically and out, you know, outside, yeah, outside your body as exactly, well. Exactly, everywhere um, around you. And so I really liked how you pointed out that the words of Jesus where he says, you know, in order for someone to plunder a strong man's house, he first must bind the strong man. Yes. And this is the spiritual battle. If Satan can bind you up spiritually, then he can plunder your house materially. Exactly. That's exactly what this is all about. Satan ties a man up so that he can undermine the guy's marriage, right? Right. He can undermine um, and mess up his radar. If he's dating, he's a single guy and he's dating women, you know, he, he, he wants to mess that up. He wants to totally screw up a guy's kids. 
He wants to enhance and manipulate the testosterone drives within a man to go down a path that messes up his relationships, his kids, his business, his friendships, and everything. Because men are excellent at pursuing their testosterone drives and ending up in isolation and then looking and going, what's wrong with everybody around me? Right. You know, so I think that that's one of the things that Satan does very effectively in tying up men, binding them up in order to mess up their lives. Well, and we we have a couple different battlefields we're fighting this spiritual battle on. Um, The primary one you pointed out is a man's sex drive. Mm -hmm. Um, He has to fight the battle to understand and live out that true intent of what why God gave him mm-hmm. a sex drive. Yep. Um, another battlefield is a man's code of honor or his character. Yes. Um, he has to fight for the development of a good character within mm-hmm. himself. Yep. And then on Tuesday, we did, we studied the apostles in the book of Acts, and you said a man has to fight to discover his inner hero. Um, so this kind of leads me to my first question for the day for our yeah. discussion. Why does a man need to fight for his inner hero? Well, here are the facts, and that is once you've been awakened from death and brought back to life, you are now in this spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, first uh, message in this series. Then in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says that Satan's primary strategy in this spiritual battle is to come in and tie you up because you're the strong man now. See, you've been awakened. Now you're a warrior. And so he wants to tie you up in order to plunder your house See, that's what's really interesting here is he's not tying you up so he can go plunder the kingdom of God over there. No, he wants to plunder your house. Right. And uh, therefore, every man must discover his inner hero. And that is the hero that once uh, he sees how he's being tied up, he relies upon the mighty power of God to break those uh, handcuffs, break those things that bind him up. And so Paul says the inner hero is this one who breaks free of Satan's strategy to bind him up and then trains himself with the effective weapons of warfare. You know, those things in the armor of God. He understands them. He understands how they work and he understands how to use them to avoid the bonds that, you know, the ropes or the handcuffs or the restraints that Satan is trying to build around him. You know, a perfect illustration of this, I think, is I was listening to an interview with uh, Michael Jordan when he was playing, and he was just simply talking baseball, about... Baseball, when he was playing baseball. <laughs> not when he was playing baseball. When he was playing, you know, it's like... I don't get a lot of sports references, but I can always he, he do a couple. That so what happened, it was just really fascinating. He says, look, you're the best, you know, in the NBA. At, you know, they're just winning all these championships, the Chicago Bulls and doing all this stuff, and say, so how, when you know you're the best, how do you compete? And he goes, well, I compete with myself. Mm. He says, I, I am pushing my limitations. I know the things that bind me up. And, and so in a way, what he was getting at was this notion that, um, that when a man learns to fight the battle, what he's doing is he's practicing mastery of self. Right. He's learning himself. He, he knows what his weaknesses are. He knows what his strengths are. And he tries to put himself in positions where he always wins. Okay. So that's what, what is happening in this battle. The inner hero is the process of discovering self-mastery. 
It's what every man needs. You need that hero inside of you to discover, encourage, train, and sharpen yourself as a man. Now, Satan doesn't want you to do this. He does not want men or even women who are trained to be heroic in the face of obstacles. So he relies upon fear. He relies upon intimidation and even suppression so that you won't try and discover this inner hero that Christ has put within you. So, I mean, Fight Club's been all about teaching men how to win these battles in order to be who they're called to be by Mm -hmm. God. The more men who discover how to fight and win this battle, the more heroes we'll have in our world. So Mm -hmm. some people teach that we should only focus on going to heaven because this world is so messed up. We just, you know... Leave it all behind. It Leave doesn't it all behind. matter. Let's just, just go like to heaven. Focus yeah. <laughs> on the end goal. Why should men endeavor to be heroes in today's world now and not just focus on, you know, their heavenly calling? Yeah, well, I, I think we're in desperate need of heroes in the here and now because it makes a massive difference for eternity. Mm. So let's let's just look at the pandemic real quick, okay? Churches who I mean, are led by people, <laughs> yeah, really. Churches who are led by people uh, in a lot of ways, predominantly men, completely shut down during the pandemic. Where is the sense of urgency in that? Where is where is the sense of we're in a global pandemic? At the time, they were going to say millions and millions and millions of people were going to die when it first came out, and churches are shutting down. I mean, they're not just closing their doors and saying, hey, we don't want to worship in a group. I mean, they're completely shutting down. Right. You know, I mean, it would seem to me that we need heroic men and women who understand the urgency. If there's going to be millions and millions of people who are going to die, then we need to get out there and introduce them to Jesus right now. Right. You know, this is it. I mean, it's like a dress rehearsal for the rapture. Yeah, exactly. So let's get busy. You know, we got to get busy. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm so proud of Foothills Christian Church because it ramped up. It, It tripled its ministry. You know, it tripled the number of people being fed. So many people weren't just running out of toilet paper. They were, their jobs were immediately shut down. They're living paycheck to paycheck. Right. And, you know, the government gets together, you know, and, you know, all of these super rich people in Congress, right, get together telling us how, oh, we're going to give you $1,400, you know, in in your family. And it takes them six months to get it into your bank account. I mean, this kind of stuff seems crazy to me because these people are like, yeah, I'm out of food today. Right. You know, and so our food pantry, you know, tripled the amount of stuff coming through it. And this is what's really fascinating during that period of time. Do you know how many food pantries shut down over half in the Treasure Valley? And so we were scrambling and running around just picking up all the stuff that they weren't picking up so that we could distribute it. And Mm -hmm. it was insane how much we were doing. Well, and I think it was important, too, that we... We adapted based on what we knew at the time. Like, obviously, the information's changed a lot Uh, since our, you know, initial two-week lockdown Mm -hmm. (laughs) a year ago. But, you know, at the time, we were like, okay, we're not going to contribute to the problem, but we're not going to stop doing what we're called to do. Yeah, we're going to solve every problem we can. In a way that we can, you know in the best way we know how based on this information we have at the point at that point in time. So we didn't close the doors. We still let people be here, but we were like, Hey, let's, let's pivot to church at home. We adapted. And I mean, we still are using the same process for the pantry. It's like you drive up and we deliver the food. So we're reducing contact. We were sanitizing stuff. I mean, we, we, we followed the protocols, but we didn't just say, well, 
we're not going to do it because we're worried that, you know, something bad might happen. We're going to Yeah, because, you know, what happened when this stuff hit, you know, the first thing we did is, is um, like, okay, I need, uh, they said, oh, it predominantly can be transmitted through your HVAC system. So we went out and we installed ionizers in our HVAC system. So it kills 100% of every pathogen. That comes out. So you're, so when you're sitting in our auditorium, worshiping God, you're breathing the cleanest, freshest air in Boise, Idaho because of this (laughs) stuff. But, but what happened is 97% of churches shut down. And I, I think in the same, the, the, the thing that I'm trying to get across is that we as followers of Christ need to regain our courage and the church needs to regain its courage. Now, courage is not being obnoxious or like you say, adding to the problem and ignoring you know, health concerns. But on the other hand, what it does say, we're going to stand up, we're going to speak truth, we're going to expose darkness to light, and we're going to go out there, even though it's fearful, and we're going to do everything we can. You know, I remember my wife and I having this conversation. And I said, and I told the church this right up front. I said, look, this stuff is coming back down the pike and da, da, da. And I told the whole church, I said, I understand you didn't sign up for this, but I did. Right. I did. I'm going to be here every week. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be going out. If you need something, you call me. I'll come do it. If I get COVID and God takes me, that's, I'm fine with that, you know, for to me to live as Christ. I can go to heaven or I can do here to minister here, but I signed up for this. I regret saying that to this day. Really? Yes, I do. And the reason why is because everybody sitting in that pew that heard me said that signed up for it when they got saved. Mm. See, I let him off the hook, and I don't think that was right. I should have said, you signed up for this when you said Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. You don't have an option to go cower and turn into a turtle, you know, and hide. I'm not saying don't be safe. I'm not saying ignore health protocols. But what I'm saying is you need to get up every day and say, Christ has called me to be a hero. I'm to be courageous and I must stay, uh, face fear and I must overcome it. I will not let it conquer me. And so what I should have said is that if you're a follower of Christ, you signed up for this too. So let's get together and let's figure out how to be courageous in the midst of this pandemic. Mm. That is interesting. I have not heard you talk about that. <laughs> so I'm so I'm a little salty A little there. salty, but yeah. it's good. I think you're right. I mean, and again, you're not encouraging them to go do something stupid, but no. you're telling them, you know, you can't be passive about your faith just because the world's falling apart. You need That's to right. stand up and be heroic in whatever way you can do. Yeah, and, so. and I was talking to uh, our director of adult ministries who's uh, going through all the data and the research. You know, they, they everything has data analytics nowadays, and there's all these groups that collect it, and they were saying 20%. So one out of five people that were actively involved in their church just are, are never coming back. Not because they're doing church at home. They're just not doing anything. Right. You know, and I'm saying they broke the habit and they have no interest in restarting it. Yeah. And, and they're, they're going around saying, well, I'm a Christian, you know, and I think I'm a Christian and I'd like to propose that, yeah, you're probably not, you're not following, you're not doing anything, you know, you, you've uh, accepted a lie, right? You've accepted a deception. Right. And that is, is that you're saying, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't love what he did for me. I don't love the family he adopted me into. I don't love anything about his mission and purpose in this world because my goal is to kind of cruise under the wire so that I'm never suffering or persecuted for my faith in order to enjoy my 
uh, eternal pension in heaven. Right. And I'm just like, yeah, you can live that way, but I call that cowardly living. Mm. And here's the deal. When we live as cowards, guess who pays the price? We do. We pay the price. You can't live as a coward and be who you're authentically called to be because you were designed, you were meant to fight in a cosmic war. You were meant to win. You were meant to discover who you are. And when men fight and they discover that inner hero, they look back on their life and they never talk about how many close calls they, you know, it's like, well, I never had to stand up for my faith. They don't talk about that. They'll always talk about the times when they were challenged, when they had to push through or they had to go the extra mile. Those are the things that mold us and shape us as human beings. And those are the things that make an impact here in this world that lasts for eternity well it's sort of like i mean the cowardness is extending outside of even just our our our, you know christians it's like our politicians they used to be these like our founding fathers were guys that went to war and they believed hey we need to have our own country this is not right and i mean yes they were men they were flawed they had their own issues but they were willing to stand up and fight for what they believe in and now it's like what do we have it's like I mean, even just like our previous president, it was like he's a reality TV star. Yeah. It's like we literally have celebrities yeah. rather than guys that are willing, men and women who are willing to stand up and fight for their real beliefs. It's more about the towing the party line or doing whatever than saying, it hey, does. this isn't right. We need to. And, and I think that's the thing is that stars have crowds. Celebrities have crowds. Heroes are driven by conscience and convictions, and often heroes act alone. Right. They stand against when something's going off the cliff. You know, look at our families. Just look at what's happening in the families right now today. The nuclear family is falling apart. Fewer and fewer children are being raised in a household with both biological parents. These are just stats. These are facts. And even though every single research study shows that children raised in a household with both biological parents, mom and a dad, outperform by wide, wide, wide margins those who do not, everybody knows this is a fact, Atheists know it, psychiatrists know it, psychologists know it, school counselors know it, educators who write our curriculums and design our public educational systems, they know it, everyone knows it. However, however, every one of those groups of people is doing everything they can in their power to destroy it and undermine it at every level. Our justice system designing in the dissolution of families and marriages and things like that, you know, have laws that undermine the efficacy of this process. Our public education system interferes with it more today than doing anything to support it. Uh, It's just coming out. It's in the street. As I talked about last summer when the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, you know, was, was storming across and everybody wanted to be perceived as, oh, I'm against racism. I'm jumping on the bandwagon. I said, don't jump on that bandwagon because they state specifically our goal is to destroy the nuclear family. Why would they want to do that? 
Well, because postmodern ideology, deconstructionism, neo-Marxism, which is being expressed through critical race theory, is added a, uh, has added as the primary tenet of their belief system to destroy the nuclear family. Marx was against it. Hegel was against it. The Bolsheviks were against it. Mao Zedong was against it. The Khmer Rouge is against it. The university today is against it. Modern-day feminism is completely against it. I read those quotes just last Thursday. Thursday. Right. Everybody is against it, even though all the science, all the data, and anybody with half a brain knows that the best thing that could ever happen for kids is to raise them in a stable household with a mom and a dad. And in the end, if I may be so bold, that's a process, uh, that's a time period of about 20 years in your life. Mm. Okay. So if you're going to live to 80, that's one quarter of your life. Right. So people, buck up, quarter, uh, buttercup. Let's get our acts together and let's stay together as a husband and wife. Put your petty annoyances with each other aside and act sacrificially. Love your spouse for 20 years so that you can do what's best for those kids. That's called living like a hero. Heroes live based on conviction, not emotions. Heroes live with power and strength, not cowardice and emotionalism that drives their decisions. Heroes stand up and say, I'm going to live sacrificially and do what's best for the people around me. And I guarantee you, when you get into those 70s and 80s, that one quarter of your life will be the most joyous, the happiest, and most fulfilled that you could ever imagine. And that's how heroes live. But nobody wants to say that in today's world because it's too salty or too offensive. So what you're really talking about is when men discover their inner hero, the impact that they can and will make on this world is significant, yes. right? Oh, it's huge. The impact is huge in the world. But more importantly, the impact on them as a man is even more significant. In order to discover an uh, uh, inner hero, you must learn that the power to overcome, the power to stand tall, the power to live courageously doesn't come from yourself. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that, you know, we must stand firm. And he talks about how everything comes from the power, the mighty power of God, or it says the strength of his might. That's the exact phrase. So you have to stand in the strength of God's might. So what happens is when you're fighting this battle and when you start to discover your inner hero, that's what you're doing is you're trying to figure out what Paul meant how do I stand strong in the strength of God's mighty power? Well, talk to me about what the process for men to engage in that is. How do they discover where this inner strength comes from and how do they start living more heroically? Well, I, I'd like to just boil it down in two simple things. Know who you are and know how to fight. So know who you are and train to fight. That's basically it. All heroes begin with identity. 
They always begin with identity, you know. I mean, you look at all the movies out there today, you know. You you look at all these stories about heroes and all this stuff, you know. You look at Harry Potter, right? So, uh, what what you know, Harry Potter was an orphan. He lived in a closet under a staircase, and his in uh, his his relatives, his aunt and uncle, treated him poorly and pushed him down, and so he you know felt abused and unwanted and stuff. And then he goes, and everybody's like, "Well, you're Harry Potter." You know, right. you're you have all this money and you have all this stuff. So it's this whole coming of age story where he discovers who he is. Right. And right. then he ends up doing what? Defeating the man's whose name shall not be mentioned. Voldemort <laughs> or whatever the guy with no nose. Um, so you look at that, but you look at all the other stories, you know, of of uh, heroes and Marvel and all the stuff. It's all about, you know, all of them started with origin stories about how people discover what they're power and really in essence what they're saying who is they are who you are yeah. this is your identity i mean it's the biggest it's the most replicated story like as yeah. a filmmaker as a storyteller like yeah. that's the number one story it's always the hero's arc i mean most stories are built on that of whether they're a hero or just the lead <laughs> character it's almost always the same arc of they figure out who they are and yeah. that allows them to do what they need to do in order to be victorious. Be victorious in whatever situation they are. That's like, that's literally the, the, the archetype. Arc. Every <laughs> single story basically boils down to the same yeah. thing. And so where did they get that idea? I wonder. <laughs> I I'm wonder, sure. Pastor Doug. There's well, some old inspiration yeah. from some other. Well, sure. It, and not, it all comes from that. And what's interesting is why do, they, why do filmmakers and storytellers always use the same archetype? Why do they do it? Because it always works yeah it invokes it, a sense within us that we're like right. that could be me or that should be me or that should be me exactly and so instead of going to a movie to have a movie about a fake character inspire that within you you need to discover it for yourself stop is stop going and escaping to where you That's could right. be and just become be, who you yes, should right. be oh well said become who you should be it begins with your identity, who you really are. And then secondly, don't let Satan bind you up. And that is you need to start training with the right weapons. You have to put on uh, around your waist the belt of truth. Well, what does that mean? Well, when it comes to the definition of what a human being is, what's your definition? You know, what is it? Is it simply, uh, yeah, we're just these random electrons floating around a random universe. That nothing and matters. Nothing matters. There's no God. No, no, no. Well, good luck with that. Right. You know, or, well, maybe there is a God and maybe there is an objective truth and maybe there is something out there and how I live and the decisions I make, they not only impact me, but they impact everybody around me. And I don't want to get into all the metaphysics, but belt yourself with truth. And that is start with your definition. And because your definition of truth will drive your, uh, of what a human being is, will drive your morality. You know, is it right to treat other human beings poorly? Is it, is injustice okay? Well, and it keeps everything together. I mean, if we're using this analogy right. of armor or clothing or whatever, I mean, yeah. your belt kind of keeps it all together. <laughs> so That's right. if you don't start with that, if you don't have that, everything else kind of falls down off <laughs> around. Right. It doesn't it doesn't work as well without that. So it's, it's a, a good yeah. starting point. So it start yeah, so it binds everything together. You need to train in righteousness, you know. Righteousness keeps you out of trouble, you know. It's so, you know, so many stories today, so many movies, dramas and stories 
stories are people who do dumb things and then they try to extricate themselves from their own stupidity. Well, the best thing to do is to just live righteously, you know, don't step in the pothole to start with. Right. You know, the the other thing is stretch your faith. It says the shield of faith. The number one, this is what I find so interesting is that men want to discover their inner hero, right? They want to go out and do something or build something. But the number one place men never stretch their faith. And it's the number one place that Jesus said you should start. And that is to act like a hero financially. Jesus says you should start there. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. And so he says, you know, you got to act heroically in your finances first before your faith is really going to stretch and really grow. I know so many guys who avoid giving, they avoid tithing, they avoid disciplined money management. They don't want anything to do with it, never realizing that this is the most important place to start when it comes to growing and strengthening their faith. It's one of the easiest ways to get bound up. Yeah. Um, Nate, our, our youth or a uh, student pastor intern, intern yeah, yeah. Uh, under Steve Botsford, gave a great message to the kids probably about a month ago about, you know, releasing your hand. Like if you're holding on to money so tight, it's literally just like binding you up and you can't use your hands for to anything else. Do anything else because you're so, and so you're binding yourself up. You've lost your hands, which I don't know about you, but I use my hands That's a right. lot. Daily. So <laughs> yes. if you're binding it up because you're holding on too tight to your money and you don't live with that yeah. open hand of letting it go, you're keeping yourself from being able to really do what you're supposed to be able to do. You're, you're fighting with your hands basically tied behind your back. Well, the and, and the reason you hold on to something is because you don't believe there's any more that's going to come It's not going to come back or you're yeah. going to be under. What yeah. And needs. so what you, and so what happens is, you know, we think money is paper and coins, but in God's eyes, <laughs> yeah, it's, in God's eyes, it's water. You know, and, and the thing about it is the tighter you try to squeeze water, the more, you know, what you got to do is you got to, you got to cup your hand mm. and you've got to hold it. So, so I like this analogy because on the one hand, it's not like you, you have no regard for money at all. Just like you don't have any regard for water. You have to cup your hand properly. You have to get ready. You squeeze your fingers together and you're going to hold a whole bunch of water in there and then you can drink from it. But you have to realize is that money is a flow like that spring. It's in and out. It, it just, yeah, it's going to keep coming and keep coming. And so what you want to do is you want to tr- figure out, and this is what faith does, is it teaches you the flow of money. And, and men who figure this out are men who always have plenty of money. So how do you figure out the principle of the flow is it won't happen unless you start giving or tithing, a discipline of tithing. Right. Because, you know, it's going out, it's going out, and it f- does something to you uh, spiritually. It starts in your soul, but it comes out psychologically, mentally, in your attitude, your whole view, and you start to understand the flow and how it works. Mm-hmm. And so that's how your faith grows. Is you, oh, okay, it makes sense. Um, a lot of men don't develop a prayer life, you know. Uh, prayer is not about asking God for what you want or making your day awesome. Prayer is about how do I align my values, my priorities, my character with the values, priorities, and character of God. These things are unchanging. They have a track record of of 10,000 years of performance. They are some of the best things that you could ever imagine to make you into a really great man. So prayer does that. The sword of the spirit. This is interesting. And the whole armor of God Everything else protects you from the fiery darts. Everything else is defensive. Defensive. 
this is the one offensive weapon in the arsenal that he lists, and that is a sword of spirit, which he says is the word of God. So know the New Testament. Start in the New Testament. Focus on the New Testament. Because in the end, the New Testament is New Testament because it is the new testimony of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so if you know what Jesus said and you know how he said it, then you're going to have a weapon that can destroy falsehood and deception, not only in your own life, but in the lives of those around you. So that's really important and powerful. So basically what you gave us just now was the the training montage before the hero goes out to uh, yes. be victorious, right? They, there's always the there's always the you're laid low and you got to go out and have your training montage and yeah. you just gave us the montage of what we need <laughs> okay. to be working on, right? Is that, is that about That's it, that right? About it? Yeah, know right. who you are and train to win with the right weapons. Well, I've really enjoyed this series. I think it's been really great um, being able to focus. I know even I, the most compliments I'm hearing are from women talking about how they <laughs> understand men more. So, yeah. I mean, it was focused on men, but I think everybody got a lot out of it. Yes. Um, I'm kind of sad to see it go, but that seems to be the way with all the series. And I don't just say that. I, I do enjoy them. But yeah. um, our next next week, we're doing a Mother's Day tribute, yes. which will mm-hmm. be really fun. Um, Not and, this Sunday, but Mother's right, Day. Right, right. Yeah. Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll wrap up this Sunday. Um, you're preaching the final sermon on the Fight Club thing. Then the Sunday after that will be the Mother's Day one. Yes. And then the one after that, we're starting a new series yes. um, titled Life Making Sense Out of Nonsense. Yes. So um, that should be an interesting one where we're kind of breaking down why things seem so chaotic sometimes and yeah. how to really get your life back in yeah, focus. Yeah, and it's right? an in-depth study of the book of First John. First John. First John. Five chapters of power-packed ways to make sense out of a nonsensical life. Well, and you got to love those books that are only a few chapters long because that means you can read them multiple times and yes. really get into it. So, Yes, I always encourage everybody, read those books, read those books. Well, we are out of time for today. We really appreciate you guys joining us. Make sure you tune in on Sunday to f- hear the end of our um, Fight, Fight Club, Club series. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you on Sunday here in beautiful Boise, Idaho. Blessings.